welcome to the Jesus Sex and Politics Podcast. I'm Micah, and I probably shouldn't be here. <laughs> oh my god. I shouldn't be here right now because I have COVID. I didn't say I have COVID. I have the bubonic plague, but not that COVID. was the best intro ever. <laughs> hey, welcome to Jesus, Sex, and Politics. Uh, Nathan's here, but he's about ready to keel over and die. But that's how committed he is to getting the truth out to you, our valued listeners. In all honesty, I'm afraid he's going to erase me out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to be the Micah Beckwith show. Uh, we did have a good uh, show the other day with uh, Eric Massey. Uh, he's an attorney. And, I know. And, I know. Uh, I heard it was great. Yeah, it was really good. You haven't listened to it yet? What the no, heck, man? Bro, I, I'm doing my best today. <laughs> just, to, just to live. <laughs> he's over there coughing. Well, you know what, Nathan? Today, uh, you, we're glad you're here. Uh, you don't have to do a lot of talking because we got another great guest in the studio. We have Professor of Economics at Indiana Wesleyan, uh, David Lance. He's joining us. He's going to talk about his book, uh, politics, and everything in between. David, welcome to the studio. How are you? I am fine. It's good to be here. Great to and have you. I understand somebody found a case of bluebonic plague in Oregon <laughs> recently. Oh, good. Good. In Oregon? Oregon. Yeah, they can have it. That's the, the liberal left coast. All right. So uh, <laughs> we just need to put a wall around Oregon and. Uh, the left coast and not let them come this way but hey david so tell us a little bit about uh yourself and uh i think you're a really interesting person you helped with the indiana the the christian coalition uh on the ground back in the 80 well 90s i guess yep, yep. Mm -hmm. and uh you were the director state director for indiana uh but yeah economics and and you're an author and so yeah you're just a, you're doing a lot of cool things we wanted to bring you in and and have you kind of share with our listeners. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, I've, I've had several different uh, career changes over the years. I started out uh, out of graduate school working for the Indiana legislature, ended up being a lobbyist for a few years. Hope you won't hold that against me. Um, uh, ended up uh, doing some various things out of the lobbying that led me to uh, working with Ralph Reed and the uh, Christian Coalition and became the state director here. Uh, segued into uh, doing uh, telecommunications uh, work and for the last 20 years, I've been an adjunct instructor uh, for ver various schools, including Indiana Wesleyan and Ivy Tech, teaching uh, mostly economics, political science, and um, statistics. And in my spare time, I like to write uh, Christian historical novels. That's awesome. And tell us about the book that you have out there right now, that uh, because that kind of jumps right into uh, sort of that Christian historical perspective. Well, it's called The Chronicles of Belteshazzar. Now, just uh, in case your listeners don't know, Belteshazzar was Daniel's Babylonian name. And so... Um, the idea came to me. I actually wrote a book called The Brotherhood of the Scroll back in the late 1990s. And, and so I have, uh, now I have five grandchildren, but when I wrote this, I had four grandchildren. The oldest one today is uh, 12 years old. And I really was enamored with the movie The Princess Bride. Great and, and, uh, film. It is. And I wanted to find a way to take the story of the Bible and Daniel and the lion's den and put it into a format that kids, oh, maybe nine years and up, that would be several of my grandsons, would be able to get. And, and so uh, I took the parts of the original novel that dealt with Daniel and I pulled that out, and then I expanded conversations with Grandpa. Every now and then they would stop and ask Grandpa questions, and that became the Chronicles of Belteshazzar. Wow. So That's how a many, quick story. How many chapters of the book of Daniel, then, do you basically follow in the book? 
I incorporate up through about chapter six of the book of Daniel. So most of the narrative. That's right. But in writing the original story, uh, essentially, uh, think of Jeremiah in his 40s, Daniel and Ezekiel in their teens would have been potentially disciples of the prophet Jeremiah. And so I also have a lot of stuff from the books of Ezekiel and Jeremiah, at least as they relate to that timeline. That's fascinating. A little bit Life Church trivia here, the very first expository uh, book that we ever preached at Life Church 13 years ago was the book of Daniel. Ah, mm-hmm. And uh, it was just tremendous. It it's was so the much. The first good six stuff. was easier, the second six was very difficult. <laughs> well, because second six is basically revelation um, yeah, before it's revelation. Yeah, a lot of prophetic. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. I tried yeah. to stay away from that part. Yes. Yeah. Chapter 11 is a killer. <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot of questions that we're going to ask the Lord someday about uh, that book. But no, so that that's really cool, uh, David. Um, have you seen your book? Uh, like what, what, when people get your book and read it, what's kind of their general sentiments of the book? Like, a, you know, they come back and they say, this is really, it reminds me of The Princess Bride. It, uh, like kind of how, how has it been received? Because I, I think that's really interesting that you're taking a, a biblical story, a really important story in the Bible, and you're kind of giving it a almost the Chronicles of Narnia kind of mm-hmm. vibe to it where, you know, kids can unpack it. Have you, have you seen that work pretty well? Oh, I very much. And, and in fact, I i don't know, you know who all has read it. It's hard to keep track. But the three or four people that I know of have all told me they read it as a family. Oh, wow. uh, usually the father reading it uh, to the kids. And uh, so they really like it. Now, you, you need to know, just the novel starts out with, I took something from my from my life experience, and I put it into uh, um, I, Isaiah is the name of the, the grandchild in this particular case. But when I was in middle school, I had a copy of my Gideon's Bible, and I was reading it you know, out on the, the, the track field in the bleachers and stuff during lunch hour. And a girl comes up, and she grabs it out of my hand, and she starts running, and I chase after her, and she's yelling, separation of church and state, and she throws it into the bushes, and I retrieve my Bible. Well, I take that and i have that as the starting point of the book and so uh, isaiah uh, is meeting with his aunt uh, sarah and says what does separation of church mean because at you know 10 12 middle school age don't know and says well you should really ask grandpa that question because uh when we when your dad and i were kids he would tell stories from the bible and one of his favorites was daniel in the lion's den and how he prayed to god and that was against the law and and so uh, what interests kids is the starting of the book and the ending of the book because along the way isaiah is trying to figure out oh this mary girl she's kind of cute you know <laughs> so, so there's there, there's that stuff it's uh, at the beginning and the end of the book that kids also like too that's good hey so i have a question for you because i'm sure you had to handle it in your book at least i would think so do you think daniel shadrach meshach and abednego were all emasculated eunuchs i don't deal with that <laughs> i know that this it's thing a is kid's called, book nathan i know this is jesus sex and and uh, so the politics, question was but fair I, i'm then. leaving that part out okay <laughs> i mean i've never met anybody who wrote a book on this subject i just i thought I'd ask. but now let me ask my let me help you ask another question where was daniel 
in chapter three when they're bowing down to the idol. Great question. Shadrach, I've always wondered Meshach, that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into yeah, the fiery not, he's furnace. He's not there. He's not there. Right. And that's a question I did think I better deal with. Well, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't there when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. Yeah. So, so here's something that I learned in my research. Somewhere in the mid-590s BC, there was a revolt against Nebuchadnezzar. Some people think that uh, the plain of Dura, when Nebuchadnezzar calls all the the satraps and the governors, this is basically, uh, you come and and pledge allegiance to me or it's off with your head now that I've defeated uh, the people that wanted to uh, get rid of me. And, And so there's a lot of political intrigue. Think of it this way. Nebuchadnezzar uh, was fighting a a battle at a place called Carchemish, near where Aleppo is in Syria today. He was fighting the Egyptians, and and right as soon as that battle was done in about 604, 605 B.C., his father, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, or Nabopolassar, dies. He goes back. Nebuchadnezzar can't be more than 25 years of age. Now, think of George George W. Bush. He's coming and following his foot in the footsteps of his father, uh, George, George H. 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 W. Bush. Yep. Bush. Now, George Bush, number one, had a bunch of advisors who now want to tell the younger George Bush what to do. What do you think was going on in, in Babylon when Nebuchadnezzar, a young guy, comes and his father's advisors are still there? They're the wise men. Mm. And, and so there's a lot of political intrigue going on here. I, I envision a situation where Dan, somebody advises Daniel to get out of Babylon and go into the mountains, uh, the Zargos Mountains, uh, which if you look at the geography is there, and pray for Nebuchadnezzar. So that I come up with a reason. Uh, this is totally outside of the Bible. It's my right. imagination totally. Yep. But to get him out of Babylon so he's not there in chapter 3 of Daniel. Mm. And so that worked for me in, in, in the novel, so that's the way I did that. That's yeah. cool. I like that. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the thing with uh, Daniel, too, uh, when he was thrown into the lion's den, uh, it was uh, it was Darius, right? Yes, yeah. it was mm-hmm. King Darius. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's been there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of politically uh, or uh, a lot of uh, uncertainty in the world of politics in Daniel's day. Sure. You have Nebuchadnezzar; he goes crazy, and he's out. In the, you know, how, what was he out seven years out in the you know wilderness, just eating like a like a beast of the field. Sure. And and to be honest with you, I compact the timeline here. I'm I'm writing. It's essentially for kids 10 and up, mm-hmm. and, and they are not going to want to spend time instead of, you know, Daniel being an, a young man, young man when he goes to Babylon, being an old man when he gets thrown into the lion's den. I just compress all of that and make him essentially the same age. Mm-hmm. I know that biblically that's not right, but here's a thought for you guys. This is a, a question that I've certainly dealt with. Lou Wallace is the author of Ben-Hur. Yeah, great book. He's the first novelist that takes jesus and puts him in literature outside of the bible and lou wallace was criticized for that and and so one of the questions that i have in my own mind is how do really strict bad uh uh, pastor type people deal with the fact that i'm taking you know a story that's well known but embellishing it with stuff that is clearly not in the bible 
how, how do I feel about that? Well, I, some people would worry about that, and I thought about it. And so I have the grandchildren asking Grandpa every now and then, Grandpa, did this really happen? And Grandpa explains, well, this didn't happen, but we can imagine these other things happening. Well, I think good preaching has to have some element of conjecture to it. Mm-hmm. We, we have to come to the people and go, look, we're not sure, but here's my take on this. And could it be that this, I mean, you're going back and studying all the commentaries. You're looking for little bits of treasure and gold to try to reveal the story. And those things take, you know, they can help the, the whole story take a, a totally different leap, you know? Yeah. So I think that's just actually good. You know, it, it's kind of good presentation as long as you're honest about it and you say, look, the, the Bible doesn't say this, but this is just my thought on the matter. Yeah. It we're, could be like this. We're seeing I still a, think that's humble. We're seeing a lot of that today play out uh, with the miniseries, The Chosen. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. you know, great, great series, but there is a lot of conjecture on relationships and things outside of what what scripture scripture actually says actually happened. But you can you can piece together and make a good educated guess that this probably could have happened or might have happened or may have happened, and and I think that's uh, I think that that makes it a very. Uh, a good presentation, like you were saying, yeah, I think, so too. I think it makes people interested in it. So I'm, yeah. I'm good. With, yeah, good there's with a, there's doing. another scenario. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but in chapter two of Daniel, you know, Nebuchadnezzar wants the captain of the Babylonian guard to go out and whack all the wise men. Well, Daniel's not physically present, so he's got to go find Daniel. But when he finds Daniel, instead of killing him, they have a conversation. And Daniel convinces the guy, well, let me go and talk to the king, and, and you know, it goes from there. Right. And, and so I thought to myself, these two must have met and had developed some sort of relationship. Maybe they weren't friends, but at least they knew each other. Absolutely. And so um, in, in the Babylonian uh, flood story, Unapishtum, uh, when the boat lands after seven days, the mm-hmm. Unapishtum is the equivalent of Noah in the Bible. Mm-hmm. When they get out of the boat, they worship, uh, they, they sacrifice to the Babylonian gods, and, and uh, the Babylonian tablet said that the gods descended like flies to eat the food because no Nobody had uh, served them for seven days, and it was after that that the Babylonian gods we won't, said that we'll never uh, destroy mankind again because then They'll we won't get hungry. fed. Oh, and and so, one, <laughs> so one of the things that I'm trying to do here is to say that the Babylonian gods are evil. All they, they see mankind as slaves and servants. But God, the moral God, uh, who uh, is active in human history on behalf of his people, wants to build a relationship and to love us and to care for us. And so I, I have Daniel as that character coming across that way. And in, in my novel, Naaman is the name of the captain of the Babylonian God and he, uh, guard. And he comes to recognize that Daniel thinks totally different and has a totally take on anything that he's ever seen before. And that's what he tr- attracts the captain of the Babylonian guard to Daniel. Well, his reputation was phenomenal. Like he, he, he was so much faster and brighter than all the other students. Like what he was able to take in in terms of language and history and Mm -hmm. you know he was excelling shadrach meshach abednego and daniel are phenomenal in in the king's academy yes you know Mm -hmm. and that's another reason why i asked the question about him being a eunuch because you know this was the this was the chief over the eunuchs that puts daniel there and i i in my head i thought boy how difficult would it be to walk with god when somewhere along the journey 
your body is ripped apart. Yes. You know, you could imagine all of the anger that you would have Mm -hmm. towards God. He didn't protect you from this. And yet, Daniel, you know, if that indeed happened, um, which was a common practice that the, the, those who were princes and satraps and whatnot, they would have had that happen to them because then the king doesn't have to worry about them wanting to take power. So it was a very common practice in the ancient world. But just, just that concept of having to work through some wounds and, and still love God and not walk away from what your parents taught you and, and, and to hold steady. And he, he's a great negotiator. I know that, you know, you probably didn't go into this, but the Apocrypha has the story of Susanna that picks up, um, mm-hmm. you know, the wisdom of Daniel in relationship to his story. I, don't, it, I didn't, I didn't pick that one, but I picked Bell and the Dragon. Bell and the Dragon's another one. Yeah, yeah. and and so Bell and the Dragon. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, there's essentially uh, sacrifices are being given, but they're disappearing, and so Daniel comes along and he. Uh, put some ash down on the floor, and then they can see after the sacrifices are given that there are footsteps and they lead to a secret passageway. And I use that. I won't. Want, I don't want to reveal the whole thing. You'll have to read the book, which you can get on Amazon.com. By the way, awesome. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yep. There we go. Uh, uh, or, or if your your church has me out to speak, then you can buy copies straight from me, and I can sign it. Yeah. But, but beyond that, uh, there there's a situation where, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a review against Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel ends up on the side of Nebuchadnezzar and using that bell and the dragon story is how Daniel is able to reveal the bad guy. Mm. Hey, so real quick, because I, I don't want to gloss over this, uh, Nathan, explain what the Apocrypha is for, for people who don't know about that. Yeah, Apocrypha, I think it's 14, 13 or 14 extra books that's in the Catholic Bible that... Um, the average evangelical does not accept as authoritative. Um, but there's a number of interesting books in there. I actually think that, uh, I think we do well to read first, second, and third Maccabees. I think mm-hmm. it gives us a great picture of what's called intertestamental history, what happens at the end of Malachi and then between Matthew. It sets up all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees yeah. and the Hasmonean dynasty and the Idumeans and where does Herod come from? Like it sets all that that up so that you really have a great grasp. When when you read over something called the abomination of desolations, you come over Antiochus Epiphanes. That when these names hit you, you go, oh, this connects to that. And Jesus would have been familiar mm-hmm. with these stories. So a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, um, we we have to understand how, what did the first century believers know? What books did they have an understanding of? Because, because we can't just take our, our knowledge 2,000 years later. You have to read it like you were one of them. Right. And so there's books in there that obviously I, I don't think are of, uh, of any value. There's a book like Tobit where it has an angel that receives worship. Well, we know every time in scripture, no angel will receive worship, but this angel does. So, you know, you can take a theological approach and throw that out because that's not authoritative. And you work your way down. A lot of this is called text criticism. And, and this is how, it's not that scholars don't read all these books, They just have general understanding of which has authority, what fits the doctrine of the church, and what doesn't. And so, I don't think it's wrong to be versed in it. 
just don't quote it as scripture. Right. That's good. So, uh, Dave, let's jump to uh, politics here for a second. You, uh, you obviously you've you've taught economics. Um, you're in political science. You've been involved in the the Christian Coalition. Um, how have how have you applied these experiences to communicate a Christian worldview in your novel? Like, so you've probably taken a lot of these life kind of just you know experiences God has given you, put them in the novel. How has that kind of developed your worldview? Yeah. What have you seen, and how are you a, a better communicator because of it? Well, if I may, I mentioned yeah. kind of the, to start uh, the the novel. Uh, Isaiah has his Bible stolen from him. And so that leads to a conversation at one point uh, between grandpa and his grandson about where the words separation of church and state come from. They, as you guys probably know, it comes from a letter that then President Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Connecticut Association. But what most people don't know, have not read, is the original letter that they sent to him. Mm-hmm. And what they say in that letter is, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially, Mr. Jefferson, you're the author of the Declaration of Independence. And in the Declaration, it's God who gives us our rights, including the right of religion and so forth. So why is it that the first act of legislation in the First Amendment is for men to give other men the right of religion? And can't it be the case that if men give us the right of religion and religious practice, that other men in the future might take it away? You may or may not know, but there is an organization called Freedom From Religion. I've actually debated Annie Gaylor, uh, the president of that, when I was the head of the Christian Coalition. And they literally want to have freedom from religion, not freedom of religion, which kind of validates what the Danbury Baptist folks said. So at any rate, in in doing this, I've got a a young uh, woman, uh, now she's probably 15, but at the time she was about 12, uh, uh, Nadia, who was reading uh, through the book and she was asking me about this whole thing. And so we traded emails back and forth. And that helped me hone my conversation about this with somebody in that age group. I Also, you've got the book there, Nathan. So the tagline is, will you live by faith or will you cower in fear? And so you guys were talking a minute ago about all the lessons that we can learn from Daniel. And so so one of the things that I'm hoping can happen is that we as, as parents and grandparents can help our kids navigate this stupid culture that we're in to become uh, uh, Daniel's and Esther's in uh, this world, and so just helping them think through. Here's here's one last thing. I'll shut up. Let you ask ask no, me the question. Um, you guys, no doubt, have seen one of the versions of the movie The Three Musketeers. Yeah, and so. As you know, you've got the king's men who wear blue and the cardinal's men who wear red. In other words, we've got a religious guy who's trying to take power from the king. I see that happening in Babylon too. And so uh, the, 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 the uh, chief priest is wanting to take power. And, and is my theory is that it was the, the, the high priest who caused the rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar that I mentioned a little while ago. And so you, I'm, I'm basically in the book... I'm I'm having Grandpa tell the kids about the Three Musketeers as a way to think about the deep state political intrigue that was likely happening in Babylon, which then we can think of all the crap that's going on in our world today with these deep state debates and, and fights and so forth. And so while I don't get into current politics like that, it helps a young person to at least see how you can connect the dots as they get older. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's good. The um, 
you know, a lot of times I, I, I love the religious conflict that you're saying is going on there because if you take a look at Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are all the names those men, those young boys were given that belonged to uh, foreign deities. Mm-hmm. That's not their given name. Now, Daniel is, that that is his name. It's his Hebrew name, yeah. Right? Yeah. But... Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, yeah, Daniel. Yeah, in fact, Belteshazzar may, means may Marduk preserve, preserve his life. Right, yeah. right. And yeah. all of those names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all named after foreign deities. Mm-hmm. So these guys are having a question. When you're called something every day of your life by another god at formative years, because I, I believe those guys were all probably teenagers yes. when they're taken mm-hmm. there, and, and, and they are, they're the best and the brightest of Judah. You know they're the, they're the princes, and, and there's a and reason the they weren't killed. Like many of their other <laughs> friends and family were probably killed when Nebuchadnezzar right. came in. And they left the dumb ones yeah. at home. They yeah. took the very best yeah, right. and took them to the king's academy. Yep. You know, but there's a question there too that can come up with: What if your name all of a sudden were changed? Yeah, and that's all they're going to call you. I mean, that's literally happening in our schools today, where we, we see you know even the dysphoria <laughs> type yeah. stuff, where teachers are coming in and they're telling kids, yes. you know, I saw a guy on Newsmax yesterday talking about when his son was taken from him and given the name Ruby Rose or something like that and how he has fought. I mean, it's very in keeping with the dysphoria yeah. kind of concept. Yep. Yep. But but can you imagine being called identities that weren't you Yeah, and you trying to fight to hold on to something and there's not a lot of you, Yeah, you know? Like there had to be many, many, many more um, you know, uh, Jews that were there, mm-hmm. but they, but they, they bowed knee. Yeah, you know, yeah. and here's this, just this few that don't. Okay, so I do have a question for okay. you. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading your book. I kind of like what you've done with it because it, it reminds me of Rush Limbaugh and his and his series that sure. he did uh-huh. for kids. I, and I had that in the back of my mind, but I couldn't trans. I didn't see how I could transplant them back to that time period. Yeah, well, but I think he did a real service uh-huh. by taking those stories. And for a lot of parents, actually, who listen to those books with their kids, they're like, oh my gosh, I never really thought about that. But we need to be teaching our kids these things. So just play out for me. Um, what do you think it looked like in the, um, you know, in, inside the lion's den? Cause I, I've, I've thought about that. I preached on that, but what do you think it looked like in there? I have two cats. Cats have a certain odor. I think first of all, it would have, the odor would have had to have been overwhelming. I never even thought about that. Now, I don't know. Nobody really knows. I think it says in the Bible, I'm not sure, that the the lions fell asleep. Perhaps they did, perhaps they didn't. But obviously, nothing's happening to him, and so maybe he's petting them. I know my cats, I don't know if you guys have cats, but my cats come up to me, and they rub against me, and they want to sit in my lap, and they sort of fight over who's going to actually sit beside my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and if she won't let them, then they come over to me. Um, but they can be very affectionate. And so I'd like to think that there were kind of fights going on among the lions as to who gets to lay down beside Daniel and let Daniel scratch their behind their ears. Mm. Now, 
I don't know if that's the case, but yeah. that's what happens with my cats, and so I'm just kind of projecting yeah. that because nobody's ever asked me the the question you just asked. Well, yeah, I I just thought it was interesting. I I read a lot about lions leading up into that, and there's a hierarchical system within them that until the main lion, the alpha lion, eats, no other lion gets to eat. Mm. And so the question is, what did the lion see? The lion of the tribe of I wonder if that's not the case. I wonder if they (laughs) are looking at a lion that says, when I eat him, you can eat him. (laughs) But until I touch him, you all stand back. Because when when you look at what it says happens to those who threw him in there, it's it's like 250 satraps, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah. It's it's in the 200 range for sure. There's a lot of them. And their women Wait. and their children. And the Bible says their feet did not touch the ground before the lions devoured them. So how is it? And I don't know if you've ever seen The Ghost and the Darkness. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. It's a great lion. It's about yeah. the demonic lions of Cassavo, yeah. and uh, it's uh, the the guy who plays him, Michael Douglas, and uh, Val Kilmer playing this story. But it's a true story in Kenya, and it's about these two lions that end up. You know, lions normally only eat when they get hungry. Sure, but in this story, happened back in the eighteen hundreds. These two lions end up killing 130-some people. Well, if I can tag off of what you just said, back when I was the head of the Christian Coalition, uh, at that time, the Indiana um, uh, Civil Liberties Union sent a letter to all the, I think, 230 school corporations in the state of Indiana saying that if you're any of your valedictorians pray, uh, then we will sue your school corporation. Jay Sekulow with the uh, American Center for Law and Justice sent a counter letter saying, we will sue you if you don't let them pray. And so at some point, uh, a group in Bloomington had uh, several people, including myself and the uh, lawyer for the Indiana Civil Liberties Union who wrote that letter, come to be part of a, a mini debate. And so I basically, in my prepared remarks, I told the story that you just told, but I asked it as a trivia question. My question was, what happened when Daniel came out of the lion's den? And, and of course, the answer was that all of the satraps and everybody were devoured. And, and so the metaphor that I had was that this is what has happened to our society. Uh, our society has basically entertained all these ideas, and now all the liberal left that has created all these problems has gotten our society into that situation where the lions are now coming out and not discriminating very much against who they're going to devour as you look at all mm-hmm. the problems that we have. Yeah. So it's interesting because you say that and uh, you, you look at uh, like someone like a Bill Maher, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's saying just that. I mean, he's been a leftist. He's been on the left for a very long time for uh, pushing uh, liberalism and, and just more or less leftism. And now they're, they're devouring even him. I mean, they'll go after him. They'll, you know, he says just the one wrong thing the wrong way, and the 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 leftists just lose their minds and start attacking him, and you know, and 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 he's saying, "What have we created here? There's no rhyme or reason to who the woke mob is going to devour next, and this is a problem." And you know, all of us, you know, conservatives with with wisdom have said, "Yeah, yeah well, that's what we told you is going to happen. You've let Frankenstein out of the." you know, out of the cage and now he's, he's, uh, he's, he's killing everybody, you know? So yeah, that's, yeah. yeah I, yeah. one thing, if I, if I may speaking to the grandparents who might be listening in, um, 
one of the things that we had uh, an, an organization called Legacy Imperative, uh, Pastor Bob Peterson, come to our church a, a couple years ago, and he's really big on getting grandparents to tell the story of their family history yeah. to help. We ta- you were talking about identity of young people. Yeah. How do we help build an identity? Well, tell the stories of your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, the good stories and the bad stories, because there are right. bad stories in there, too. That's right. And, and so you are connected to a bloodline of people who have had to walk a faith journey, sometimes better uh, than other times, uh, with the failings and the successes that all of us have. But let's tell that story. I interviewed, my, my mother will turn 93 in April, and two years ago, I interviewed her for this very purpose. And I gave all, you know, my brother and his kids, my kids, uh, so that we would all have a family legacy of my mother telling the story of the family tree uh, and so forth. And it, I had a print, I printed out the books. I put uh, pictures of people that nobody but her knew the, who they were uh, in there so that we would have that legacy for our family. And one of the things that I hope is as people read this book and hear this grandfather, which is really me, telling uh, stories and explaining things to the grandsons in the book, that this will encourage the readers of the book, parents and grandparents, to think of stories of their lives and how they can share it with their kids. Because let's let's face it, we've got to do a better job as a Christian community of communicating our values. And we yeah. can't leave it to Percy, Percy Jackson and, and, the, <laughs> and, and the gods. We've got yeah. to have more books like this yeah, that share a Christian message. Yeah. Yeah, my kids. Uh, you bring up Percy Jackson. They they like that show. But you know what? The, you know what uh, movie they like be- better on Amazon is uh, uh, John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress, the the cartoon. Which is, if you watch the Amazon one, it, it's kind of. It's kind of freaky. I mean, like the the way <laughs> the way they've illustrated it, like the characters are like a little. It's a little, uh, you know. I'm kind of like, man, like this would scare a little four year old if you're not careful. But they love it, and they and actually, what they what you know, my my kids are seven and four. They they like the they like the storyline, the message behind this man. They know he's he's found Jesus, mm-hmm. and that and that his burden has been lifted by by Jesus. And they know that he's walking out this this God honoring life and. And and so I think there's a real hunger for for ch- in children in the heart of children to know to know the truth and, and this idea that who that they have an identity in in as, as a child of God and and I think to your point we don't have enough of those types of, yeah. of uh, mm-hmm. why why have we as Christians given given over entertainment to the world why have we given over the music industry to the world why have we given over government to the world why I mean a hundred years ago 150 years ago you would go to the church to find world-class art like the Sistine Chapel you'd go to the to, to find world-class music like Bach and Beethoven and I mean they all say glory to God in their in their you know as what why they wrote their pieces Handel's Messiah I mean these awesome awesome art pieces and uh, and yet here we are today the church is just said well we don't do that you know that's for the world and the devil can have that we'll just come over here in our own little club and and then we wonder why the world's going to hell in the handbasket and it's like well we've abandoned our duty to 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 lead yeah. yeah, if I if I may, if I can give another gratuitous yeah. plug, I, my website is Wise Jargon. The word Wise W I S E Jargon J A R G O N dot com, and on the blog series, I I haven't fleshed it out yet, but I'm telling backstories of the novels because there are certain things. For example, to start and end the book, there is 
aunt anti-doctor sarah well my daughter sarah passed from breast cancer back in 2016 at at the age of 34 she was a surgeon with samaritan's purse she was in africa um and and so uh just it it was a way for me to help connect my grandchildren with their aunt Okay. And and so telling stories and involving the the pain and the pride and the joy as well, so so important for yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Well, you you uh, you really touch on an ancient tradition when just just sitting down and telling stories. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's something that every little kid looks forward to every night. You know, somebody tell me a story or one more story, Daddy, or one more story, Mom. My my dad. He used to read the Chronicles of Narnia to us. And, man, bedtime became the greatest thing ever. It was not hard to get yeah. kids in bed. You know, well, you can't watch, you can't read the Chronicles of Narnia until that happens. And, and, and then he would, he would sing songs with us, and he'd act out songs. And it didn't even matter. It was, I, I, I've told people before, I got saved from Martin, Martin Luther's um, a mighty fortress is our God, and my dad acting out all the parts of that song and mm-hmm. sharing the gospel. When I was in Bible college, in one of my classes, um, we were made to read a book, and it was called "When When the Giant Lies Down," mm. and and it's the concept of you know, as a dad, as a granddad, you are the giant to those wow. little lives. What happens whenever all of a sudden you get on the floor with them? Well they will come to you. I mean, they're going to be rolling all over top of you. That's one of the most powerful things you can do is, you know, is to get down where they are. And then what are you going to communicate? Here at Life Church, we, we talk about our vision statement. It's fathering sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Hmm. That has to start really early. Yeah. And it's got to continue really late. You know, it's, it's like you never take your dad hat off. You'll always be a dad. And the stories, I love what you said about connecting people back. You, you need those stories. My, my grandfather died when, he was, when, when I was four. He was 64. I have one memory of him sitting on his lap playing with a Mickey Mouse calculator. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and other than that, I've just seen pictures of him. My whole life, I wanted to know him. So, you know, he was a B-24 pilot, so I went out and read books on the B-24 and the guys who flew them, and, 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 and I fell in love with with aviation and stuff, ways to connect with him. But we need to do that, Mm -hmm. but we need to be connecting our kids back to their God, back to the founders of this nation, back to the biblical heroes so that, so that they know there's something worth watching. You know, when I was a little kid, I I don't know if Micah, you're what, five years younger than me. Um, um, quite a few, quite a few years. Younger. Five years. Well, you're both younger than me, <laughs> and you're 20 pounds heavier than me. Um, it's because you stopped eating for 21 days. Yeah, I won the competition. It's called uh, unhealthy. No, it isn't. Um, so anyway, uh, most of the shows that we watched, I, I we only had like three channels on our TV, you know, and you had to walk up and turn turn the thing, you know. Today's like, generation will never know the heartache that we yeah, faced. That's right, especially if you had to like or getting up when when the when the test pattern is still on, <laughs> waiting right. for the Star Spangled Banner. To yes, fly. that's yes, right. Exactly. Yeah, or, no or, or wrapping the aluminum foil on the antennas to try and get a little bit better reception. Stand right there. Hold it. Hold, hold it. it. Hold it. <laughs> hold you have it. to stay there the whole time, kid. <laughs> hold it. But don't move. <laughs> you had you had this. Um, your stories were only good characters. 
they weren't they weren't evil characters in most in most regards right if they made a bad turn by the end of the show they were going to change and fix it but that's not what the stories are being written today it seems like we're maximizing yes. the bad guys and we're telling oh let's think about this person's perspective and you know let's let's look well, at sleeping a, beauty and look at Men, Malef, what is that Men, uh, Mela, Maleficent, Maleficent, whatever it is Mela stupid no but to that point there's even an amazon show right now it's uh, a satanic that's thing. it's a uh, it glorifies satan yep in the Garden of Eden, he, he was it, just creative. Yeah, it was. It was. He was. He was very creative, and God, the the evil God that he is, couldn't understand the creative nature of Satan and Lucifer, as they, as they refer to him. And and he's got a love interest named Lilith in the Garden, and it's all yeah. about how they're the victims and God's the evil oppressor. And it's like, well, well and it, and haven't it's we exactly, turned it all around? Yeah, right. We, yeah. Well, and that's what we preached on this past week was the was was the reality of of what Lucifer did. He went from person to person and he slandered God. Yeah. And, and a third of all the angels bought it, which is exactly how any type of split happens in a company, in a church, in a family. It starts with pride and then slander and then division. And that's just, I mean, it's been going on since day one. And David, I I really, I think this is amazing book that you have. And I have, it's been a while. I think I I dove into it, read most of it. I think I got through it uh, back probably three years. You gave it to me maybe three or four years ago. Uh, More like two. Okay. Two years. Okay. All right. Well, uh, my, my, uh, Again, I'm I'm also ten years younger than Nathan, so my time always doesn't, doesn't uh you know Boy, get my good get my years. Holy cow! <laughs> so, uh, but no, it's a it's a great book. Tell people again where's your your website, where you can get the book, and uh, and just how they could get a hold of you. Wisejargon.com. It uh, is both on the Kindle uh, version. It is a paperback version, and um, also there is a hardback. So if people want to have it for libraries, libraries typically want a hardback. Yep. Uh, or if if uh, you don't want to wait for the library to get around to ordering it or not, you can buy it and gift it to your local library. Sure. Children, church, doesn't matter. Um, and uh, I'm available, um, as long as I don't have to travel forever, um, to uh, come and speak to churches. I think that it's – and what I like to do is I not like to talk not just about – my novel, but the use of Christian historical fiction. Uh, a book that I read um, uh, as a young man was uh, The Bronze Bow, won the Newbery Award in 1962 for best in children's literature. Made sure that I read that to my kids and making sure that my grandkids have that. So there's there's lots of good books out yeah. there. I hope mine is good enough to be included with books like The Bronze Bow. But um, I think it's important for Christians to find a way to tell stories and get people introduced to scripture. And I find that historical novels are a great way to do that. My website is wisejargon.com. And um, so love to connect with folks. All right. Well, thank That's you, awesome. David. Thanks for coming into the studio. And it's been it's been fascinating conversation. And, and again, love what you're doing. So keep it up. And uh, definitely go check out David's book, uh, The Chronicles of Belteshazzar. 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 Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> okay. Okay, COVID. <laughs> the Chronicles of Daniel. <laughs> the artist formerly known as Daniel. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, hey, Nathan, good job not dying in the studio. That's <laughs> your coffee right now. <laughs> he can't even talk. <laughs> Are you okay yeah, there? Jerk. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. This has been Jesus, Sex, and Politics.